Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. Thank you, those at Ministry of Music. You did a tremendous job tonight. God bless you. Give them a hand. They deserve it. Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different, and um, I'm excited about this. You know, the Bible talks about, it tells us to go into all the world and to make disciples, doesn't it? To preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And one of the things that we've endeavored to, to do over the years at Praise Chapel is to raise up disciples, to raise up the next generation. You know, I, I know I'm not the ancient of days, even though that I'm starting to feel like it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny when you think about the pastoral staff, I'm the young guy on the staff. I, I'm 52 and I'm the, I'm junior. And so it's like, you know, somewhere along the line, one of the things that we've endeavored to do is to raise up the next generation and to give them an opportunity. So it's my uh, pleasure and my privilege, and I'm very excited about this to have two guys come tonight, um, and they're going to do a tag team, and they're going to minister to you. I want you to give them your support tonight. I want you to say amen. See, listen, amen to a preacher is like sick him to a dog. Amen. It, it get, it, yeah, it'll get you fired up, and so, uh, and and even if you blurt out amen at the wrong moment, that's okay. We'll still take it. It's all right, uh, but. Uh, you know what, these young men have, have worked and they've labored and uh, they've grown and they've, you know, they've been diligent at studying and so they're going to share with us what God's laid on their heart and the first one to come is going to be Alex Chadsey and amen. And following him will be my son Andy Poole. Thanks boss. How you guys doing today? Am I too loud? No, I, I'm not like screechy. You can, you can handle me, right? Good. So today we're going to be talking about something uh, that is important to all of our lives. It is going to be something that um, hopefully will help you in your walk with God. Obviously, it's about faith uh, and, and what we're supposed to be doing with our faith. Now that we've come to know Jesus, now what? I know a lot of us have... Um, a lot of us have an issue because we can see what other people are supposed to be doing. We can see that there, there are people that are called to be pastors. You know, we're, we, can, we can see that there's people that are called to be evangelists, Sunday school teachers. You know, we, we, we got the list of what they're supposed to be doing. But some of us, most of us, are called to be a normal Christian that works a nine-to-five job that doesn't have to do with ministry but we're supposed to do something for God. We know that. So the wonderful question that I know all of you guys are asking is, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, thank you for asking. We are, we are called to love everyone. We're called to be the people of love. In fact, Jesus himself said, they will know you and that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so while I was doing my research for this, I actually uh, found a lot of, I, I found some really cool quotes. Um, one of them was by Mother Teresa. She said, faith in action is love, and love in action is service. And so what I want to preach on tonight is the idea that when we have faith in God, it manifests in the love that we have for other people. And the love that we have for other people manifests 
in the good things that we do for other people. Does that make sense? So I'm going to just jump into a portion of scripture. And the reason why I'm starting with this is because God says we are not able to show our faith unless we love other people by serving them. It's interesting because we can have all the faith in the world, but if we don't show it by our actions towards one another, if we don't show it by the love that we have towards other people, then we can't ever share it. We can't ever bring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We can't share our faith unless it's through these good things that we do for one another. It says in James chapter 2, right? Oh, there it is. All right. So it says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good works, it is dead and useless. What James is saying is, it's, our salvation is not in question when we don't do good things for each other. That's not what he's saying. We know that it's through faith in God that, get, that we get saved. It's, it's by grace. That's how we get to have the salvation that we enjoy. That's, that's how we make heaven our home. It's through faith. And we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, so what does this verse mean? It says that, can this kind of faith save anyone? Or what good does that do if, if there's a need and we say, be blessed and you know, eat well and be warm, but we don't do anything to provide for, for them? What good does that do? So James is saying that without these actions in our lives, without the work that we do for other people, it is impossible for us to share the love that God has for them. As Christians, we're called to be Christ-like. That, that's what the, that's the, what the word Christian even means. It means mini-Christs. So that by nature means that we need to be doing what Jesus did, right? Yeah. So we are called to act the way that Jesus act when he was on this earth. We're supposed to walk like him. We're supposed to talk like him. We're supposed to do the things that he was doing. And, and so the question is, what was he doing? Well, when he was on this earth, when there were people around him that were too poor to buy food and, and they were starving, Jesus provided for them. He gave them fish and he gave them loaves of bread. When there were people in his life who desperately needed a miracle from him, but, he had no abil- but they had no ability to get to him, Jesus went to them, Lazarus. When his friends were in dire need, they needed a friend in that moment. They needed someone that was going to help them. Jesus went to them, the story when he walked on the water. So we see that Jesus went out of his way to help the people that needed help. And we need to be doing the same. We need to be walking in his footsteps, speaking his words, doing the work that he would have us do. You see, he paid a huge price for us. He paid a really, really steep price to have us be complete in who he is, to have our destinies fulfilled through his work. A lot of people have the issue of uh, this, this verse in James, and they think that... Um, that, that our belief in God and our faith in God is dead 
meaning we, we can't have salvation without good works. They tie the good works together with the salvation, and it's simply not the case. They think that, you know, if, unless you do good things, you can't get saved, which goes straight back into the law, the thing that we're supposed to be fulfilled through Christ. And the, the difference between we do good works from our salvation, from our faith in God, it produces good works, there, there is a, a, a chasm between we do our things because we are alive in Jesus and we do our things to get alive in Jesus. Amen? So James is saying that because we are made new in Christ, because we have a new life in him, our actions should follow this new life. There's a verse in Ephesians that is perfect for this. See, ooh, it worked. So it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he had planned for us long ago. So we see that it is first he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us. It's not the other way around. It's not we're doing the good things that God has planned for us to get saved. It's he has saved us. He has created a new person in us. He has changed our nature. And because he has changed our nature, we are now able to walk in the full destiny of what he wants for us. And like I said before, Jesus paid an extraordinary price for us. He paid a price that was meant to have more than just salvation. God wants us to be in heaven. He carved a place out for us. He designed a mansion for us when we get up there. But it is not his singular plan to get us saved and then us have, you know, twiddle our thumbs on earth while we wait to the day that we die. That wouldn't make sense. Jesus died so that we could fulfill everything that he has designed for us in this life, which means the good things that he has for us. But there's something else that he paid for. He paid for a partner. It says, this is the exact same verse, but it's in the message. I believe the message is an amazing translation, and it helped, gives us a, a deeper meaning of what um, Paul was trying to say. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. We don't play a major role in it. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus, look, to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better get on doing. Jesus paid for a partner. He paid for somebody that would stand shoulder to shoulder with him and heal the broken of this place. He paid for somebody that would go out and be the hands of Jesus to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, to raise up the dead, to, to heal the deaf. He, he, he paid for a person that would feed the hungry, that would visit the people that were imprisoned, that would be there for those who needed help. That's what he paid for, church. He paid for a full bride who was willing to do the work that God wanted us to do. What I love about this, 
this last sentence in here. It says, work that we had better get on doing. Sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves so busy that we can't fulfill the, the call that God has on our lives. We can't fulfill the destiny because we seem like we're burdened by everything we have to take care of. But we were made for this reason. We were made and called to do the good things that God has prepared for us. And the beautiful thing about this whole thing is it's where you're at right now. In the things that you're doing right now, at your job, when you're, if your hobby is golf, when you're playing a game of golf, we're, we're supposed to be doing the things that are in our reach right now. So we know that God designs our lives. We know that he is taking care of us, that he shapes our futures. So doesn't it make sense that the things that he has put inside our lives that we're passionate about, that we love, that we're hungry to do, wouldn't it make sense that he has also created opportunities inside there to do the good things that he has for us? We don't necessarily need to go out and find something to do. We can look at what we're doing right now and see the need and fill the need. That means... Like I said, if, you, if your thing is golf, when you're playing golf, you're shooting for those holes. I don't play golf, so that's about all the terminology I got. <laughs> when you're doing your thing, there's someone on that golf course that God wants you to minister to. Maybe they're poor and they need some food. Maybe their car just ran out of gas and they could use the help. Maybe they just need someone to talk to. I don't know what your situation is going to be, but I need... But, What I want to tell you is as long as you have eyes to see, as long as you're looking for those things, God will highlight them. And if if your thing is cars or, or if your thing is guns, it does not matter. Whatever God put the passion inside you to do, that's where your mission field is. That's where God has you to minister, to do the work that God has for us, to do the good things he has called us to do. That's where we need to be doing it. And... Like I said, it's something that as long as we have eyes to see what God is doing, he is faithful to bring about. He is the one that designed these things in our lives. It says it in Ephesians that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the, thing, the good things that he has prepared for us to do. Now, since he's prepared it for us to do, it is his, he, he's instilled the, the signal, the trigger to show us what those good things are. He's faithful to highlight those good things as long as we're faithful to look. Can you say amen? Amen. And so it's time that we need to be looking for the good things that God has us to do. Now, while while it is an amazing um, venture to save a billion people, to get a billion people converted to Jesus, that, that is an amazing thing, but that might not be your thing. Your thing might be to have an extra water bottle in your car and when you're driving down the street seeing someone that is obviously dehydrating, giving them water. Your thing might be to have an extra $5 for the person that has a sign that says needs gas. It's God that designs if they need it or not. It's God the one that is going to, to mine that out. And what we need to do, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit who is faithful to say that person needs help or that person needs encouragement or that person just needs a friend right now. We need to be faithful to listen and we need to be faithful to look. And before, before I hand this off to my friend, 
because he has just as good a word and he received from God. Before we get to that, I want one more verse to show you. This is something that I think God wants to speak to us and I I think it'll encourage us. It says this. I should probably go to my notes. So let us not not get tired of of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, let me say that again. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. God is faithful, guys. God is faithful to reward those who do the work. He's a great compensator. He is an amazing boss to have. He pays so well. We need to be faithful to do whatever is in front of us. Help whoever, whoever needs it. And we'll, in that, we'll show the love of God that Jesus has for them. And we'll save a few souls. As we transition, let's go to God in prayer. God, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would keep our eyes open. That you would speak strong words to us. That you would show us where you are at. What you want to do in this life. And show us, God, that we have a purpose in all of this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, Alex, you did such a good job. And that's a... We, we, uh, we tried to coordinate, make sure we're talking about the same thing. And so, um, you know, the, he, talk, he, he laid a great foundation of, of now that we're saved, now what? Now that, you know, the, I love the, the scripture that he used of, of Ephesians in, in the message translation of, you better get on doing it. But here's the, here's the issue. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Sometimes those things that, we, that God has designed for us, it's kind of inconvenient. Sometimes they don't come up always at the most opportune times. And see, I, I want to I take the next few minutes and I want to... I want to lay out something that, I want to lay out what Jesus, a story that Jesus shows of a man who chose to sacrifice his desire for convenience on the altar of obedience. I said that a lot better than you responded, so I'll say it again. Here's a man, we're going to read a story of a man who sacrificed convenience or his desire to be, you know, to make sure that things are working out just the way that he wanted them to on the altar of obedience. There you go, that's better. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 10, verse 30, oh, I'm sorry, Luke 10, wow, this thing is touchy, holy cow. Luke 10, 33, and 34. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So when he went to him, and so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So most of you who, who have been in church any length of time know that this section of scripture is taken out of the parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable, this story, is Jesus' response to a sarcastic law, a lawyer who's trying to figure out what, you know, who really is my neighbor? So Jesus responds with this story. And so what I want to do is I want to take the next few minutes. I want to, I'm not going to read this big, long section of scripture because it is pretty lengthy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just highlight, 
I'm going to kind of tell you this story, and I'm going to highlight some of the key points. And so Jesus starts off by saying a certain man, meaning that term certain actually is the same word found in the prodigal son story, and that term certain actually means this really happened. A real man. So this is a real story. That, like, I don't know about you, but when we, when we know a movie is based off a true story, it just gives it so much power. So one thing that we, so it says that a certain man traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They beat him up, took his clothes, left him for dead. Okay? So here, the thing about the Jericho Pass was it was dangerous, especially for individuals who traveled alone. You never tra- traveled alone on the Jericho Pass because things like this happened to you. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 31 and 32, it says, Now by chance a certain priest, there's that word again, came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by the other side. So here's, here's what's the important thing, is... We know that every little detail that Jesus gives us is important, right? We know that every jot and tittle in the Bible has a purpose. And so when we look at certain, these certain elements, we need to pay attention. The direction in which the man was going was Jerusalem to Jericho, okay? Jerusalem to Jericho. What we need to know is, is that the priest and the Levite we're traveling in the same direction. Why is that important? Jericho was a city that was about 17 miles away from Jerusalem. Religious leaders and government officials would live in Jerusalem, would work in Jerusalem and live in Jericho. We'll bring up that why that's important here in a second. And so they come up to this man, and, and the term passed by the other side is a phrase that's very difficult to translate. That phrase is. This word right here. Try to pronounce that. I dare you. I have a Bible software that actually reads that in the original language, and I still can't pronounce it. So, but what that translation actually is saying is, having seen him, he went past, staying as far away from him as he could. So this is what I picture, just because I'm, I, I think in my mind. Okay, obviously, duh. Anyway, here's, here's this priest, and likewise the, Le- the Levite. They see this guy left for dead. And just kind of, okay, I'm going to go over here and just kind of, I'm going to leave the scene. I'm going to make sure that this guy, you know what, there's a lot of religious tradition. If, if this priest who was clean touched what was unclean, he would be unclean, right? If he touched him, he would be unclean. And he would have to go through the ceremonial cleaning, which wasn't fun. It was about a three to four day process of being ceremoniously cleansed again. That's not a very convenient way to spend your time. I I don't think so. Take a a shower for three days and tell me how convenient that is. Right? It's not convenient. And so these men chose to ignore the needs of a man because they didn't want to be bothered by it. Not only that, they, they chose to ignore the needs of the man because you know what? They're priests. They're Levites. They were just, they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. Levites, uh, Levites and priests would spend shifts in the temple working. And then when they were done, they would go home. So they were done. They were done with their shifts. So you know what? Man, I just, 
I've been dealing with those people all day, all, all, all day. I can't, you know what? No one's here. I genuinely believe that Jesus chose to pick an isolated road because if the priests and Levites saw this situation in the city, they would have acted because everybody was there. They would have made a spectacle of it. So what they chose to do is they, they, they fell into the trap of, you know, compassion fatigue. They fell into this trap of, you know, I help, I help out a lot of people. Or maybe they just fell into the trap of, I just don't really have very much compassion for people anyway. Or they did the third thing of, you know what, they, they believed in that culture that if something like this were to happen to you, obviously you did something to deserve it. God must have, you know, God must have, you must have made God mad. So he made sure you knew it. So they either didn't have compassion, were fatigued with compassion, or they had the wrong view of the father. One of those three things. But next, we see a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This term compassion is used all throughout the New Testament. It is always, and not always, but is most often used with Jesus. In Luke chapter, it says, uh, so we went to him. I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Uh, so for, for, for a second, let's just stop here for a second. And so he said, so when he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, poured out oil and new wine, and he set him down on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. What did he do? He poured oil and wine. Oil, uh, wine was used to disinfect. Oil was used as a pain aid to remedy the pain. But I think it's very, very cool that Jesus chose to use the very two things that most oftentimes in the Bible are used for symbols of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. Oil... Holy Spirit, wine, blood of Jesus. What did this man do? He ministered to this man. He took the time to meet his physical need, but then he met his spiritual need as well. And as Alex pointed out, that we're not just called to, oh, hey, God bless you, while their stomach is empty, while they're freezing outside. We're not just supposed to, we're, we're supposed to allow the compassion that Jesus has. He had compassion on him. And when we look, sorry, when we look at the word compassion, Luke 15 and 20, Luke 15, 20, New King James, this is the parable of the prodigal son. He said, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Matthew 9, 36 says, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. What was this man moved by? He was moved by a godly compassion. He was moved the way Jesus is moved. He is moved the way the Father is moved when he sees a need in your life. So the very thing that is motivating this Samaritan man is the very thing that needs to motivate us into action. When we see a need, it is us who God equips to fulfill that need. Now here's the challenge for me. I'm just gonna, this is a, not really a sermon, but a confession. So the challenge for me is, you know what, I get, I get burnt out sometimes. You know, I get off, I get off work and I, you know, I'm driving and there's a guy on the side of the road and, you know, flat tire and I know he's struggling. And it's just, oh man, I should have went on Western today. It's like, oh, wait a minute, time out. 
and there, my dad told me a story about Pastor Howard, and he, him and Pam were pioneering a church, and they, they uh, were going to Big Bear for a vacation. They had spent like, a, it was like a year before they were able to, you know, go on a vacation, and they're, they're driving down the road, and there was a man in a wheelchair with a flat tire, and Howard just kind of just, was just in his own brain and blew by, right past him, and Pam kind of nudges him and says, are you in a hurry to preach your Good Samaritan service? And, and Howard turned around and stopped, and, you know, the, the rim was all mangled, but, and, and, and it took some time, and, and they didn't get their vacation. But here's the thing that we can learn in this is that there is a remedy. There is a remedy for our burnout. And the Bible talks about, in Proverbs 11.25, it says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. Okay, I like this word refresh, but when you look at the, the, when you look at the meaning of this word, it says those who abundantly satisfy others will themselves be abundantly satisfied. That puts a whole new spin on it. It's one thing to just help someone out. It's another to abundantly satisfy others. This man went to, went, it was one thing for him to like, oh, maybe give him his tunic, you know, help him out with his, but he put him on his donkey when he walked. He took him to an inn where he gave then the innkeeper two denarii, which two denarii is two days worth of pay. And he not only that, he says, put it on my tab. I'm used to coming through here. Whatever he spends over, I'll make up the difference. So, we, ask, we have to ask ourselves, what is it for us when we are struggling with burnout? When we're struggling, maybe, you know what, there's been, there's been just a, a several, several people who we've, you know, we've helped, we've done, we've been the Good Samaritan many, many times. What do we do in that scenario? Matt, we have to look at what Matthew, what, what, what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 7, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it's within one's power to punish or harm. So what is this saying? It says, look it, when you, ble- when you blessed are the, are the compassionate, for they shall obtain compassion. Blessed are the, the ones that have forgiveness, for they shall be forgiven, Right? Those are all within the constructs of what Jesus is saying in this verse. And so what we have to understand is that if we want to live a refreshed, abundantly refreshed or abundantly satisfied or a blessed life, we have to get to a point where we're willing to bless others or to love on others or to be, have compassion towards others or we have to live abundant life where we have to live from a place where we're not just, you know, it's not just to meet our need, but how can I meet the other people's need. And see, this, this is very practically applied. And Alex did an gr- amazing job on explaining what, how we do this. It's, a fra- it's the phrase in verse 33, and it says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, it wasn't that, like Alex said, it's not that he's searching for this out. It's not like he's like, oh man, I hope someone's beat up today so I can help him. Like, where, where, can, I, where, can, I, where can I find them? You know, where can I find them? 
Because that is the quickest way for you to get burnt out. And if you're burnt out, you can't then help others. So what do we do? We have to simply do what's in front of us. Here's the lie. The lie is, is that we hear a message like this and we think to ourselves, man, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to do more. I'm going to, I'm going to try to meet, I'm going to try to figure out a way to meet all the needs of Kingman. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out where I have the most impact and I'm going to meet those needs. You know what? Not just Kingman, United States, man, we got a lot of problems and I'm going to fix them. You know what? Once the, once the United States is fixed, world's next. What are we doing? We're setting ourselves up to fail. Because that is not what God has called us to do. Or what we do is we get in this comparison game, right? We get in this comparison game where we go, you know what? I, I, I know what I can do, and I know what they're doing. And I know I can do a lot better job than they am. And, you know, especially that church down the corner, you know, around the street, I don't know what they're doing. But, you know what? I think we can do a better job. Or what we do is we get into this, we get into this evaluation game. We go, well... You know, that, that thing in front of me, it's really, not, it's really not tweetable, you know? I can't really take the picture on Instagram really well. It doesn't translate. You know, it's not, not, not a lot of people are going to see me. No front page paper is going to be, no, front, no paper is going to want to write about this. So it's just really, is it, re- is it re- you know, we have to be good stewards with our resources. So is this really worth the resource? We believe the lie that says we're not qualified to meet that need. I, you know what? I just I don't have the experience. You know, I didn't go to school. I don't have the education. I don't. You know, I just I'm not I'm not a pastor. You know, if I was a pastor, I could do that. But the truth is, is that you know the thing that's in front of you, parenting your kid in a godly home, is just as important as getting someone saved. Husbands, loving your wife as Christ loved the church is just as valid or as important or as a a crucial need to God that getting 100 people saved or preaching on a stage. See, in God's mind, anything that is stopping an individual from living an abundantly satisfied life is a need that he wants you and I to fulfill. Anything that God sees and goes, man, that person is hurting. Who can I send for that? But see, too many times we get into this place of, you know what? I'm just, I, I'm just not qualified. If there's a need in front of you, obviously God has deemed you qualified to fix it. Because guess what? Here's the secret. I'll let you in on it. You're not qualified. God in you is qualified. Because if, God, because if you were qualified, there would be no need for him. We used to say all the time that God never uh, calls the qualified, he qualifies the called. See, if, if every individual who met the look, do you think David was qualified when he became king? He was 16. Do you think the disciples were qualified when Jesus called them to be his? These were men who were working in the trades of their father. Obviously, and in that system, they were not good enough to be other rabbis, but he says, I'm an, I, Peter, I know what you can do. And in three years, these men are going to ask you questions. And so he makes him qualified. It's not by our action, 
but by his through us. But here's the, here's the thing. We have to be willing to put our convenience aside. The problem is, is that we live in a culture surrounding convenience. I live over by the movies, and so when I come from the church to the movies, I drive by all of the fast food joints. When I'm hungry, I go, which one? That line's too long, that line's too long, that line, okay, that one right there, Talk about awesome. Because I'm all about convenience. Don't call me on my phone, I don't answer. It's not convenient, text me, it's much better. Don't, like, that's, that, that's, we live in a world of convenience, but the problem with convenience is we'll never meet the needs God places in front of us because we're too focused on our needs instead of theirs. Does that make sense? We're gonna go before the Lord in prayer. We're gonna close. Father God, we just thank you so much for this word that you've put, placed on Alex and I's heart, God. God, this is not about notoriety. This is not about what we can do. This is not about anything other than you challenging us to meet the needs that are in front of us, God. God, I pray you remove the scales, remove the the lies of comparison, the lies of I'm not qualified. God, and I pray that you replace that with the truth that says that you have called us and you qualify us. And I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. God, I plant these seeds that, God, as, as we leave this place, that we start meeting needs that are just placed in front of us, God. Let us be able to recognize what those needs are, and we can see your kingdom flourish in Kingman, Arizona. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. They did a great job. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.